Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 242 of the Juice Box Podcast. Today's show is sponsored by Omnipod, Dexcom, and Dancing for Diabetes. You can find out more at dexcom.com forward slash juicebox, dancing the number four diabetes.com, and myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. About 200 episodes ago, Sam Fold came on the program for the first time. He and I had a, a conversation that I quite enjoyed, and we kept in touch a little bit afterwards. I've been saying to Sam for like a year, I want to have you back on the show, and I'm looking for the exact right situation to have you back. And then things sort of fell into place. So I hear a lot from women who wish their husbands would listen to the podcast, but they find it hard to talk them into listening to a type 1 diabetes podcast. Then one day, just recently, I was thinking about something for my son in baseball, and as we were kind of thinking it through, I saw the parallels between the baseball thought and the way we manage type 1 diabetes. And then I started looking at a lot of the things that I say on this podcast and started seeing a lot of connections between baseball and this, and I thought, maybe this is how guys might be introduced to the idea of, you know, bumping and nudging and being bold and that sort of stuff. So this one is going to be great for everybody. Don't get me wrong. It's not so baseball heavy that you'll be like, oh, I don't like baseball. But if you've got a husband or a boyfriend or something like that who likes the baseball, I think I figured out how to get them to listen. Please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise, and to always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan. I don't know how much time you have or if you need to be free when the game starts or, or anything like that, but... I had this kind of weird moment. I was talking to my son about ball. He's home from school, and he's playing in a collegiate summer league. You know, first three games, he's finding his legs. And we're talking and we're talking about, you know, hitting, and he hasn't played in a little while. Yeah. And this dad next to me starts saying, he starts with his baseball-isms, right? He's like, he's like, oh, he's finding his swing. And I was like, yeah, his swing looks good to me. I and so the guy keeps watching. He says, oh, he's landing his foot late. And I'm like, nah, his foot's down in time. I'm like, he's just, I said, everything's fire. And he's like, he just kind of, his body's not doing what his brain is telling it to do. Yeah. I don't know, know another way to say it at the moment, right? So yeah. I, I'm fighting through this guy's baseballisms, And we're talking, and my son and I are talking on the ride home. And you would love to talk about baseball with him more than me, I imagine, because he's just, he thinks about it, I, I imagine, the way you do. He plays defense the way you played it. And he yeah. thinks about baseball a lot about like what your job is, which is what I want to talk about today. It's kind of how your job in baseball and diabetes, I see these amazing connections to. Just a brief reminder to check out dancingfordiabetes.com. It's dancing, the number four, diabetes.com. They're on Facebook and Instagram. After you check out Dancing for Diabetes, you're going to hear Sam talk later about his baseball camp. If you want to learn more about that, it's Sam Fold. T1DSportsCamp.org. Sam's next camp is coming up in February on the 8th and 9th. It's in Tampa at the USF campus for ages 8 to 17, and Sam is there running the baseball sessions at the camp. More information on that at the end of the show. So there we are. We're talking. He's like, that's not the problem. It'll be all right. I just have to keep doing this, and I'll find it. Sunday crushes a ball it's a you know one step from going over the fence and he's like okay i'm good and that's it you, you, you know you can't explain it it makes no sense yeah. or anything like that but if he got caught in those isms you know then he would have spiraled out of control because they don't mean anything they're just things people yeah. say about baseball things yeah. they say about things they can't quantify i i always yeah. think right and so you understand where they came from. Like, you know, I've, I've been in Philly my whole life. I, I watched Charlie Manuel coach. And he's an old guy sitting there going, you know, it's time to take him out. I saw his elbow drop. <laughs> you know, like, like something right. like that. Like the way that baseball had to have been done in the past because no video replay. You're going off of this split-second interpretation you're having of baseball. And, the, and the, the baseball minds who can see it real quick are the ones who, are, who get to make the decisions. Right. So... Anyway, this dad's standing in the stands. He's saying all this stuff. Three days later, Cole crushes a ball, and he looks at me, and he goes, he found it. And I was <laughs> like, 
man, he had it the whole time. Like, I don't know why you don't uh, understand, right? Right? So he had his foot down now, finally. And if you told Cole his foot, the hitch in his swing and all this, right? As if. And you look back at the video, you can look exactly. at five at-bats in a row. They look exactly the same, except <laughs> in the last one he hit the ball. And so, right? So if you were to go to Cole and tell him, hey, this guy said you didn't have your foot down in time, he'd be murderous. He would be like, this guy doesn't understand what he's talking about. That's not what this is. Like he would, he would never want that. And, and so I know you don't probably listen to the podcast much, but we just did, uh, Jenny Smith and I, she's a CDE who has type one. And we did this, um, this series we call diabetes pro tips where we broke down all the ideas that we talk about on the podcast and put them into real, like kind of digestible bits. And as I was doing that and having these conversations with Cole and thinking about having you back on the podcast, I realized how much the things we talk about diabetes mimic your job. And I don't mean like as a baseball manager, I mean like your job specifically. Are you still the only guy in the league who has this job? As far as I know, at least I'm the only one who has this title. The title. Maybe that says more about title than anything like it's not the sexiest title out there <laughs> you are hold on a second you are the philadelphia phillies major league player information coordinator <laughs> yes how's that look on a business card uh there's not enough room on that whatever however long the average business card is it does not contain unless you want to go size negative font um yeah but i think it's still like the, the responsibilities are still fairly unique to the game yeah. i think there are more and more teams that are kind of picking up on it and maybe they're titled differently maybe there's a lot of like uh, quality control coaches out there. I, I shouldn't say a lot, but there are a number of them. And I think part of that, part of those duties might um, entail similar things to what I do. But uh, as far as I know, player information is uh, we, are, we have a monopoly on. So if I were to oversimplify your, your job, it's that you can talk to a baseball player like a baseball player and understand the analytics like a guy with a Stanford economics degree. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's kind of perfectly put. Okay. Yeah, I'm sort of a bridge or a translator, really. Okay. Yeah, more so, th I would say a translator even more so than a bridge, right? Yeah. We talk about on the podcast a lot that you have to trust that what you know is going to happen is going to happen. And that idea sort of just means you can't, you can't have some food and think, oh, maybe I won't need insulin for it this time, right? Like, you, you have to trust that that's going to happen. Now, right. sometimes you'll give yourself insulin for something and you didn't need it. But I maintain that you need to take the insulin every time, fight with the low once in a while when it happens, to avoid this battle with these high blood sugars constantly. Mm -hmm. And if that doesn't, to me, mimic the idea of, I don't know, taking a guy out, you know, one batter into the seventh inning because statistically he just can't make it through the second batter in the seventh inning... I yeah. don't know what does, right? Because you're trusting blindly something that appears to be going okay, mm -hmm. but you're fairly confident it's going to fall apart in a second. <laughs> I need you to tell me what that's like a little bit, oh, yeah. because I want this episode to serve as a bridge for mm. dads and guys who tell me that they love the podcast, but they wish it was a little more masculine. Mm. That's what this episode's <laughs> going to be, okay? All right. So well, tell, tell me, me a little bit about that idea. I'm going to have my beer first and, and turn <laughs> off the football game. And, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I think that's an interesting point. Like, so you've got Aaron Nola out there. It's the bottom of the eighth. He's done nothing but steal the entire game. He's hitting his spots. All his stuff is there, you know, and he's in his pitch counts getting up. Let's say he's at 105. And let's say all of our evidence for both him and uh, for the league is that as your pitch count, pitch count approaches 105, 110, say, that your results start to suffer, um, despite looking really good leading up to that. Let's just say that that's the case. And, and there's some pretty significant research that shows that, in addition to a lot of research showing that, you know, the third time through the order... Um, guys see you. Guys see it better. Um, batters just generally have a lot better results third time through order than, say, first time through order. Okay. Um, so let's just say that's the case. And I guess you could kind of make the analogy that like, uh, your blood sugar right now is 105. Let's say you've got a, a G6, like I have a Dexcom G6 and we all know that there's a bit of a lag there, but let's just say that even right now, despite the lag, you're 105. Keep the, we'll, we'll make it extra complicated because 
Well, your blood sugar is 105, and Aaron Nolas pitch count is 105. <laughs> um, Sam only knows a couple of numbers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but let's let's say that you just had a meal, right? Like, I guess that that would be the analogy. That, and let's not even call it a meal. Let's just say that um, you had a granola bar, and it's got 28 grams of carbs in it. And history has shown that when you have 28 grams of carbs, your blood sugar will go up. Now, there might, like you said, there might be some instances where, I don't know, you've done enough exercise um, recently or you haven't eaten barely anything at all and you're just preventing a low by eating that, you know, an, an oncoming low um, by eating that granola bar. Mm -hmm. But more often than not, history has shown that when you have 28 grams of carbohydrates, the blood sugar is going to go up. And that would be the, the analogy. You, you leave Aaron Nola in in the eighth inning and you get him up to 115, 120, 125, and you're and he's starting to see guys either the third or fourth time around. Um, that would be that would be why you would lean on history and and evidence, and, and, the, and, and you would yank him before things get out of hand. And those carbs can get on you before you know it. Just like you can go from 105 to 120 pitches in just one at bat with a guy fighting you off, and now. And now you don't have somebody warm. You're, you're behind, right? He's still yeah. out there thinking, I got this, I got this, I got this, because he's, he's a competitor. You want to think that your blood sugar is going to do what you think it's going to do. It's just, mm -hmm. it's two parts. So if I, I wrote this down, cause I want to say this exactly right. If I said to you, this takes practice and repetition, it'll, it's going to require failure so that you can accumulate enough data to make sense of your outcomes. Then, and only then can you find balance. Am I talking about baseball or diabetes? <laughs> right? Yeah, right. yeah absolutely just, the both. It's exactly the both. And so I don't want to get you in trouble because a lot of people listen to this, but I'm baffled when I see people get the benefit of data, let's say in diabetes, and we can assume maybe in other walks of life, and they're so attached to how they feel before, they can't, I don't know, they can't even give themselves over to the idea that maybe this dad is valuable. And, and let me bring this into your world. Sometimes if you turn on sports talk radio right now, you guys are in it. You look amazing. You're a thousand times better than you were last year. You were in first place up until a couple <laughs> of days ago. You've got the wild card locked right now. It's not even the, it's not even the all-star break yet. And if you listen to some people talk about it, it's a disaster because it's not baseball the way they're accustomed to seeing it. And, and I don't, I don't know if you have any feelings about that that you can share, but if you do, I'd love them. I understand it. I'm obviously, like, um, I am biased, and I am particularly interested in the data side of the game. Um, so I think, like, disliking the current state of the game because there's just more data involved, um, I can appreciate. I don't. I don't agree with it. I think, like, you can you know, sort of pick and choose the way you consume the game. And I think there's plenty of like sort of traditional broadcasting available that still allows you to like enjoy a game, consume a game in the way that you would have like 30 years ago. Right. Um, the, if you watch a game with, you know, say baseball savant up on your computer and fan graphs up on your computer, then you're kind of consuming it in a more data oriented way. And you've got the ability to do that uh, and, and sort of quench your data thirst if you might have that um so i think there's just like a lot of different ways that you can consume a game these days so uh, like while i can understand people being averse to, to just seeing numbers that are foreign and I, I think i i don't know math is numbers are tricky like in a lot of ways you kind of get it or you don't you like numbers and, or you don't and if you don't like numbers like i can understand where you just like sort of want to turn a blind eye to it and i, and I totally respect that yeah um and one thing that I think I do particularly uh, relate to is the sort of state of the game or the, the the way the game is played now. I can totally relate to it being like a little bit on the boring side in that you've got this like uh, the game has trended towards the three true outcome, the walk, the strike out or the home run mm -hmm. um, being like if you if you look at numbers on the whole like the game is those three true outcomes are um biking right like 20 years ago i don't know what the numbers exactly were but like let's say that 35 percent were either 35 percent of outcomes were either strikeout walk or home run mm -hmm. and now it's up in the mid 40s or high 40s so it's like it's it's becoming 
a little bit, you know, you've got deeper counts, you've got less action, you've got, you know, fewer balls in play. Um, so I can understand where that's like a little bit less exciting to, to consume baseball. Yeah. It's funny because I obviously grew up that way and I don't have your math background. So I have that feeling sometimes like, oh my God, it's not fair. The guy got that ball through the gap. The shortstop should not be in shallow right field. And and he, you know, the batter won and yet he lost, right? And at the same time, because of my son and the way he thinks about baseball, I've gotten to think about it a different way. My, my, Cole would tell you, I'd rather strike out with my swing than hit the ball with that guy's swing. Because my swing's going to create this, this, and this when it mm-hmm. works. And his is, he's just going to ground out to the shortstop. Yep. And so, and, you know, and it's, at first I thought, you know, when he started talking to me about this, I was like, I don't know, man. Like, I think hit the ball, right? And he's like, no, no, no. He goes, when I hit the ball, it goes in gaps. It drives, it climbs, it goes. He's like, those are doubles and triples. He goes, I get more bases. He talks about, like, baseball in terms of, like, accumulating bases, you know. Um, you know, and he's like, and if I walk, it's great, I'll steal. He's like, and I have more bases. And, he, and he'll point to a guy and say, like, that kid hit the ball more than me today. I was more valuable to the game. Mm-hmm. And I'm like wow, that's incredible. And it's funny because I had always thought about it on the defensive side that way, but my brain never took it to offense. Mm. Um, I always used to tell him when he was younger, he used to be a little undersized. And I would always tell him, look, you'll just, you'll always hang on with your defense. Like no one in their right mind is going to take you out of the game. And so you have time to bring the rest of it around, which actually ended up working out for him. But he's a kid who I used to have to explain. He never watched hockey. I had to tell him about plus minus in hockey so that he could understand that his presence in center field saved three runs today, even though he didn't score any. That guy knocked in three runs. His error let in three runs. He's even. You're ahead. And I don't think, I don't think I would have begun to think about baseball like that if I hadn't gotten to watch him play baseball that way. I think I'd be the guy yelling at the screen like, "A bum's not hitting." Like Harper. <clears throat> Harper's astonishing to me. Like the man is like talk about a baseballism. You hear people say the ball sounds different coming off his bat. It legit <laughs> does, right? Oh, yeah. But the guy doesn't get a hit for two games, and the world's like he's in a slump. I'm like he's not in a slump. He just needs three more <laughs> bats, my friend. <laughs> you know, like like and and so I used to probably be one of those people who would look and think, guy hasn't had a hit in two games. What a disaster! And now I just realize they're all going to come in a wash at some point. Yeah. And and the the goal's not perfection. The goal's to reach the playoffs. Yeah. Right. right? Uh, and I think I think the goal, if you just look at it as an, an individual's of like overall value, it's traditionally it's just been way easier to quantify and record offensive value, right? And it yeah. still is. Um, but I think looking at it from a plus minus standpoint makes a lot of sense, right? And I think we're getting better and better at quantifying, at least like at the professional level, we're getting better and better at quantifying. Um, the value that somebody might bring on the defensive side or on the bases. Mm-hmm. You're right. Like, it doesn't really matter how you derive value. You could be the very, like, some freak show, the best center fielder that's ever played the baseball game and hit 200 with a 250 on base and a 300 slug. And you might still be better than the guy who hits 300 with a 400 slug if that guy can't play defense a lick, right? So it doesn't really matter how you, how you, the value it's just that it's a bottom line game it's how many runs over the course of the season are you are you providing yeah. and whether that's saving them on the defensive end providing them with your legs on the bases or with your bat and so to kind of tie that together with diabetes before before my daughter had a, a glucose monitor i'd put her to bed at like this 180 blood sugar and she'd wake up at 90 and people who listen have heard me say this before. And I thought I was a genius. Like I had worked the whole thing out. Then we put a glucose monitor on and found out I was putting her to bed at 180. She was dropping to 50, staying there for hours. Her liver was probably dumping, you know, glucose. And then she jumps back up to 90. It didn't matter how it looked. It mattered what it was. And, mm. and it, that reminds me of, you know, when you've got a guy in a corner outfield position who really can't go more than about eight or nine steps from where he's standing, but sometimes he does it, dives majestically somehow doesn't drop the ball and 60,000 people stand up. They're like, that's amazing catch. I'm like, that's not an amazing catch. He should have been waiting for it, sipping tea. Like, like, right. He shouldn't be diving for it, but it's what it looks like. And so they judge it on what it looks like. I I see it with my son all the time, but I don't want to make it about him. I'll, I'll use an example from last year. 
Dexter Fowler went on a run last year that was insane. And he the ball went off the tip of his glove. And all day the news was Dexter Fowler stinks. And I was like, he's the only guy going to be within 10 steps of that ball. Like, how are you going to, how are you going to look at it that way? That's right. But, but it's, it's fascinating that that's how it, we're so um, like what's in front of our face oriented. Like we, mm-hmm. we see what we see. We don't see how, what happened prior is affecting right now. And yeah. I be, I was talking to, um, uh, I, I don't want to say her name, but a girl who um, is in her mid-20s, and she's had diabetes for 20 years. And she she asked me for help. And so I looked at her basal rates, and I was like, hey, your basal rates aren't high enough in a lot of places. She goes, no, no, I get low all the time. And I'm like, it's not because of your basal. But she couldn't – it's not what she saw. you know. Mm. So I explained it all to her. We pushed her basal up across 24 hours, which scared the heck out of her. And her blood sugars got better, and she stopped getting low because yeah. she was getting high because her basal was too low. And she was bolusing with no food in her stomach, causing a low. And she didn't see that the low basils were causing the high that was eventually resulting in the low. And right. I don't know. Like, there's just something. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think like, we'll keep the diabetes and baseball analogies going. We'll call, like, StatCast, which is all, this r- radar technology and camera vision technology that allows, that gives us, like, you know, it was installed in every major league ballpark yeah. four years ago. Um, it gives us an incredible amount of information. Now it's not just about what the ball does, but it's what about it's what attracts movement of every fielder too, every base runner. So now, you know, I, I you, you might make the analogy that like Stackhast is what a Dexcom is. So we before we had to just sort of assume that when the center fielder ran into the gap and made a diving catch, that that was a great play. We, had, we were able to see how much ground he covered exactly, how much hang time the, the ball had, right? How efficient his route was. Yeah. We didn't have any of that information. It's kind of like going to bed at 150 and waking up at 120, and you go, oh, I, I guess it was like this sort of linear path there. It just stayed steady. But, you know, now we know with with the, I know with my G6, and I'm fairly new to it. I've only had it for under a year now. Yeah. It's, it's sort of enlightening, like, that cast era has been enlightening for baseball. It's like, oh, I was actually, you know, I, I was up at 200 at 2 a.m. and then it was a, a crash down to 80 at 4 a.m. and then my like maybe yeah maybe my liver was secreting glucose, get me back up to 120. Um, now it's now we can do the same thing. Maybe this guy, maybe we get see that this guy's route efficiency was like 88 percent, which is not good. And the only reason he made that diving catch was because he made a route like Magellan. And right. it was, um, and it was not actually that sweet. Zigzag run to the ball. Yeah. Listen, I, I'll tell you right off the bat. I don't I mean your catch. Some of your catches from your career are, are astonishing, but I don't think you, I don't think you count yourself as an incredibly fast runner, right? Yeah, that's right. I, and that's 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 another thing. Like uh, I'm, yeah, I think I was. I moved my legs quickly, <laughs> and I was little, and I wasn't. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I would say I was probably like a, a slightly above average runner compared to like your average major league outfielder, but certainly not a burner. Like a lot of people may have assumed I was just because they looked like I was going fast, but um, yeah, no, I think I would have been, I think I I provided my defense other ways, like jumps and route efficiency and and just having instincts. Yeah. I think you and I talked about this the first time you were on years ago, but if you see my kid catch a baseball, I've had people turn to me and goes, what's he running? Like a six, five, six. I was like, Oh God, no, it's, I was there, but but really watch him. He's moving before the guy swings the bat. Like he's yeah. seeing more about this than you're thinking about. And yeah. so he makes it look easy. And he looks like he's flying because because he's there so much sooner than the ball sometimes, you know? And it it's it's interesting. But if you get there too soon, then then all of the I don't know, like all of the I don't mean the respect maybe you should get out of that just doesn't happen from a lot of people. Right. They're like it's it's amazing to watch, you know. A lot of the best outfielders out there just almost never have to leave their feet yeah. because they just they put themselves in the right position they get great jumps they're just they're catching the ball on the run uh, but not having to leave their feet because of how either how fast they are how good their routes are good good their jumps are how did you talk yourself into not being afraid to dive for balls and i don't mean the collision with the ground i mean the idea that if you miss it it gets past you like it was <laughs> that like a like i'm gonna just go for it feeling and you found like a vibe or I don't, that's interesting to me yeah um I think 
I just had this sort of, I had confidence from the very beginning. And I don't know where I got that confidence. I think it was sort of um, like this lack of fear and almost recklessness. And I just, maybe I just trusted that net net, my aggressiveness was going to be a positive. Mm -hmm. And the sort of the missed balls where you have to do the run of shame back to the wall um, <laughs> and then show off that your arm's not great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially when you're picking it up at a standstill and just flinging exactly. it in yeah. cut off and hoping the shortstops run about a hundred feet out there to help you. Uh, <laughs> those were like inevitable and you just kind of had to come to grips with that. And um, you can't be afraid to make mistakes in baseball. Like, like you talk about with, with Cole, like, you can't be afraid to swing and miss and you have to trust that your swing in the long run is going to be what's best for you. And I think the same goes from for defensive play that by being aggressive and leaving your feet, um, as long as you don't do it like completely uh, asininely, like you're, you're, uh, you're going to ultimately provide a lot more value by being aggressive than if you play things conservatively. Let's take a second, everyone. Let's take a second to talk about Dexcom and Omnipod. We'll start with hmm, Dexcom. The G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor will change the way you think about using insulin. The Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor will change the way you feel about a loved one with diabetes being away from you. The G6 will also change the relationship you have with your blood glucose meter. It is FDA approved for zero finger stick treatment. Have you ever experienced anxiety not knowing what your blood sugar was and found yourself testing way too much? That doesn't exist with the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor because you can always see not just what your blood sugar is, but what direction it's moving and how quickly it's moving in that direction. We obviously lean very hard on the information coming back from Arden's Dexcom G6, and I think you could as well. Check out Dexcom.com forward slash juice box now. All you have to do is fill in a little bit of information about yourself and you will get the process started. From there, the sky's the limit. I'll tell you right now that our results are ours and yours may very well vary. May very well vary. Who talks like that? Anyway, but just today, I'm talking about a couple of hours ago, Arden had her endo appointment, her A1C, with absolutely no diet restrictions, was 5.5. Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox with the links in your show notes or juiceboxpodcast.com. Go to a browser, type in myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. After that, fill in your name and your address and hit submit. When you do this, here's what's going to happen next. Right in your mailbox, an Omnipod will arrive. It's a free no obligation, demo unit, demo moon, meaning that you couldn't give yourself insulin with it. It's for demonstration purposes so that you can try it on and see what you think. Now, there is no other insulin pump in the world that you can try on before you buy. There, the company will just send it to you so you can give it a whirl. Now, why can Omnipod do that? Not because they're more generous than the other insulin pump companies, although I think they are. It's because their pump is tubeless. It's not connected to anything. So it's easy to send you out a, you know, like a dummy pod, like a, you know, that you can try, a demonstration. You have to do this. I mean, have to is a strong word, but how could you not? It's free. There's no obligation. You'll get to wear it to see what you think. And then if you want to move forward, it's as easy as continuing on with the process. You have nothing to lose. This will take 45 seconds. Myomnipod.com forward slash juice box. Check out the insulin pump that my daughter has been wearing since she is four years old. She'll turn 15 in just two weeks. Last thing before we go, please check out dancingfordiabetes.com. That's dancing, the number four, diabetes.com. You're, uh, you're going to ultimately provide a lot more value by being aggressive than if you play things conservatively. Right. And so there's a difference between 
seeing a 300 blood sugar and just randomly dumping a bunch of insulin on it, hoping for the best and making aggressive decisions that are thoughtful. And, and so we talk about that here a lot. Um, and I very much hate the term that's just diabetes. I don't like it when people say, uh, I got low or I got high. That's just diabetes. I'm always like, no, something happened. You may not see it, but right. it's there and it exists. And if we figure out what that thing is, then this isn't going to happen as much. And that's how you can get away from the fear part. Like, so it's my, after doing this podcast for now, I don't even know how long it's like five years. It, I believe that what stops people first is fear of insulin, right? Your fear of fear of diving for the ball, having it bounce up, hit you in the face and roll past you or something like that. Right. They're afraid of the insulin. I understand why, because there's so many unknowns, but we try to give them, I try to give them these kind of ideas, these tenants that will stop that from being such a problem and allow them to be aggressive in ways that are thoughtful. Um, so I just, I don't know. I see, again, I see a lot of, a lot of connection yeah. to that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think it's when you don't know a lot about something, you tend to be risk averse. And I think, um, I think, you know, I, we talk about that, you know, a lot, the importance of strength training has really obviously, um, evolved, not just within baseball, but of course in all of sports. And I think, um, you could make the analogy there in strength training. Like if you don't know really what's going to cause injury, then you tend to be really risk averse and you don't do certain exercises that look scary and you don't do certain exercises that um, have a lot of load, right? A lot of weight to it. So, but if the more we know about it, like the more we know it, it's okay to lift heavy using the right technique and doing the right exercise and understanding that individual's body. So maybe you can deadlift 400 pounds in season, knowing that you're doing, the, taking the necessary precautions and you have all the relevant information that leads you to believe that it's not going to, lead to any injury and instead it's going to lead to more lower body strength and you know a cleaner arm action and your delivery and all that yeah. and it'll be a net victory by by lifting that that way and that heavily so i think the same the same thing goes for yeah for insulin <laughs> it's like if you know taking taking five units of you know novolog is scary but if you know that that's to what's going to take what's what it'll take to get from 330 back down to 100 then then that's what you have to do you need to do it so it's funny when um my my son came to me one day when he was i don't know like 14 years old and he's like i'm going to start long tossing because i want to get my arms stronger and i was like okay sounds good to me now sam we're looking at each other today i'm not the dad that you know I mean, seriously, look at me. We've met in person, right? Right. Like I'm not the guy you come to for baseball knowledge. You wouldn't think looking at me, but I, but so it made sense to me what he said, but my first thought was, Oh God, don't hurt yourself. Like that's just what I thought initially. And now if you go watch him, he has this whole process that he goes to, like, you know, he puts us 10 yards apart and he starts doing something weird with his arm. And then eventually he's flipping his arm and sending me that. And he's got this process. He knows it by like the back of his hand. And a half an hour later, I'm at the back of an end zone on a football field with a bucket and he's at the back of the end zone on the other side, throwing a ball to me, 320, 330 yards. And he didn't even start using his legs till he got to 90 yards. And it's because he went through this process over years. Like it wasn't like, it, it wasn't like I'll long toss today and my arm will get strong. It took him forever. And, and then once he had it, he taught himself how to control it in a game which is a different animal, right? Like, like it's easy to toss a ball really hard, but can you do it when people are screaming, when a guy's running, you know, like all that other stuff is happening. Mm. And so I just, I wish people understood that things don't come easy, like all the time, like, right? Like you don't just get to make a decision. I'm going to do something. And it's going to pay me back right away. Something you do today may not pay you back in a way that you can see it for a very long time. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I need people when they're listening to believe that, Insulin does what it does, right? That if your kid's going through puberty, I heard somebody the other day say, my daughter's in puberty. I just give up until this is over. And I'm like, no, <laughs> like you can't just give up for four years. Like, like, you know, like, like it's right. not that hard. And so I got them, uh, you know, personally. And I said, it's just more. And she's like, what do you mean? I'm like, diabetes is telling you it needs more from you. Give it to it. Like meet the need, y right. you know? And so it, it's scary, but meet the need. I had, um, in the first month or two that Arden started getting her period, I'm sure she's thrilled when we talk about this in the podcast, but um, <laughs> I, it, she ate a meal that I knew flat out was 11 units of insulin 
that I gave her 20 units of insulin for. I mean, it was insane. She weighed 130 pounds. It was nuts. But wow. it's what she needed that day in that scenario, and it right. worked, right? Yeah. I don't give her that insulin. What's her blood sugar going to be? 500 all day long? Right. You, you know? Same thing. Yeah. I mean, same thing when I'm sick, right? If I've got the, I had the flu this spring, and I just knew that it was, I was going to almost have to double down my insulin dosage. And I haven't taken, I'm pretty insulin sensitive, and I haven't taken more than, say, six units in one injection. And, 15 years, but I knew at, in the moment that because of my, my, my flu that I would just have to take more. That's what it's going to be. I remember taking like eight, eight or nine units and going, holy cow, like, is, this, is this right? But you trust it that, that, that diabetes demanded more out of me, and that's uh, just what you have to do in return. You got to do it. Instead of sitting around and, and uh, watching... I watch people talk themselves out of the right thing to do so frequently. It's sometimes it's depressing. Um, uh, you know, just the idea of, I say more insulin a lot. Like, I think I'm going to make it into a t-shirt, uh, because, because somebody will come like, look at all this. And they, they start talking about all these. I'm like, none of this matters. I'm like, you don't have enough insulin. Like just use more insulin. And, and it's the simplest answer. It's very frequently correct. And it's the most difficult leap to make. Yeah, because you're afraid, and I understand it. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I, you're looking at a guy who, early on, I gave my daughter two different seizures. <laughs> you know, like just yeah. being like, this is right, and you know, it was yeah. with a meter before CGM and all that other stuff. Yeah. Um, but I just felt like I can't give up. Like, I know that th- these ideas make sense together. Yeah, and I will say, you know, it is difficult. You know, lows lows stink. Yeah, those are not fun, and they don't feel good. And so I think whether it's conscious or not, like. We would all, as as type ones, much rather be at 180 than at 60 in terms of how we feel mm. in the moment, right? So it's it's um, it's human nature to sort of like optimize for the short term and go, I I can I feel fine at 200, like let's let's do it. Yeah. Um, I I don't want to be down at 60 or like I don't, and I'm I'm guilty of the same. I'm guilty of it myself, especially overnight. Like I I value sleep, and I have four young kids, and if if I have like a six hour block to sleep. Um, you better believe I don't want to wake up at 3 a.m. with the low. I want, I want to get every, every like minute um, that I can get. And so I, I understand like the adversity towards lows because it's, there's no, no other feeling in the world like it. And but you, you think, obviously have an, um, a perspective I don't have. You have diabetes. I'm managing someone that has, but it's interesting in that moment. It means so much to you. We switched spots. You became the angry fan and, <laughs> and I became the guy like, trust the numbers. It'll be all right. And you're like, screw you, man. I need to sleep. <laughs> so it's fantastic. Yeah, no, I think, yeah. Feeling low might not equate to like feeling like a disgruntled baseball fan, but I guess you like stretch. Still a way you don't want to feel right. right. Um, that's amazing. Like Arden's right now, I'm looking at Arden's blood sugar right now. She's got a half day from school. My son picked, uh, my son wanted to say hi to you, but I, I, I made him pick up Arden from school and take her lunch <laughs> instead. Um, and so she's eating now and I can see she's getting ready to eat and like where she's putting her insulin in and everything. And it's like the technology's crazy. You know, it, it's made such a big difference. So you are, you, you're not pumping, right? Not pumping. No, I've, I've, uh, I've stuck with my Lanthus and, and, uh, Novolog program and I, I tinkered around with the with a pump a handful of years ago while, while I was still playing and um I just didn't love it and I I mean it was the uh, it was tandem's first T-Slim there uh and you know I think it was more about just having like tubing uh, on me it just felt cumbersome and it just didn't I wasn't afraid I mean I wasn't uh ready to take that sort of like step outside my comfort zone and wear one while playing so i just kind of put it on the back burner and i just love i, I i'm comfortable with the, the novolog and the lantus right now but yeah. I'm, I'm also eagerly awaiting like the closed loop system and i think like that the move to that is probably pretty inevitable for me yeah i think when we're done talking i'll tell you about something that i've seen um, that is pretty, <laughs> pretty amazing um, so it, so I was thinking, I tell people all the time to kind of bump and nudge their blood sugars. It, it's a little, it wouldn't be difficult for you. I'm sure you don't mind injecting, but you know, when we see a 120 diagonal up, we stop the arrow. Like we think of it as stop the arrow, like to bring it back. It's easier to use a small amount of insulin now to return a 120 to 90 than it is to get higher, you know, and, and fight with it later. It's another reason why I would tell you 
if you want to have like crazy success with your Dexcom, bump and nudge and move your high alarm down. The mm-hmm. lower you move the high alarm, the more you know positive things you're doing instead of like you don't hear the alarm and think, oh God, something went wrong. You hear the alarm and think, oh wow, I'm about to avoid a problem. Right. I actually have heard from people who said that they used to have alarm aversions until they started thinking about it the way we talk about in the podcast. And then they kind of were like, oh, this is an opportunity to do something good instead of an opportunity to find out I screwed something up. <laughs> Right. And so, um, and because there's randomness and there's variability, right? Like there's things that happen that you, you can't plan for them in a way that stops them from happening, but you can have a plan for what to do when they occur, I guess. And, mm-hmm. um, it's just, it's very, it's very cool to see, but I, I think of the bumping and the nudging almost like a field shift. It just, you know, sort of like, look, if the guy always hits the ball here, why don't we just get ahead of it? Like, why don't we be there? And if he beats us, he beats us, but we put ourselves in the best position. And, and I want to ask you if you agree with me about this. So when infield shifts happened in major league baseball, people go out of their minds about it. Like you're breaking some sort of a rule that, that exists, but outfielders have been shifting forever and no one ever complained about it one time. (laughs) Am I right about that? Um, yeah, I think it's like maybe less, um, drastic, like less aggressive. No, I think like, Outfielders have always shaded, you know, a handful of steps, maybe up to ten steps in one direction or the other. Um, but I think visually, it's not as like jarring as seeing an entire left side of the infield uh, open, right? right? So I think it's yes, while while it's existed for a long time, maybe something as uh, kind of like crazy visually hasn't. And so I can I can understand why people go like, "What? This is not baseball." Right. But I think as long as like the rule book states that you can position your players however you want. Like, how can you not um, do that? Do that. Yeah. Like the same thing, you know, whatever, like the same thing. I, I like making the football analogy and I'm not a football expert, but like if you've got a, got an elite wide receiver uh, that you're playing against, like why not double team him every time and leave the other side of the field um, to man to man coverage, right? right? Like, you're you're essentially like changing defensive alignment based off of tendencies or based off of skill in football. Um, there's no rule that you, that says you have to keep your DBs in the same spot at all times. Like, why wouldn't you do the same in baseball? Why is baseball any different? Right. So if you see a quarterback fold under a blitz situation, maybe you blitz the guy because yeah. that's what he does. It, it it yeah I. So I can't wrap my head around it fully. I, I, I am going to keep trying because I'm so, I'm fascinated by it. Like part of me thinks it's a generation of people. And it's funny too, cause I'll argue the other way. Like I would never want you to take an umpire out of a game. Like I don't want a computer to call balls and strikes. To me, that would like ruin what baseball is. Isn't mm-hmm. it funny? I see that that way, but I don't <laughs> see, I don't see the fielding yeah. shift that way. So I guess everyone's got their attachment to some idea about what, yeah. the, what the game is. And that's fine. And I, like I said earlier, I think that's, I, I, I can appreciate all of it. I really can. Um, I have my own personal opinions, um, but I can appreciate people who just want to see what, what they've seen. Um, and, and that's kind of what baseball is, right? Like it's a traditional sport. Yeah. It's, that's part of what makes it so awesome is that it's basically the same sport that was, you know, we were playing in the late 19th century. And that's pretty cool. Like there's no other sport in America like that. And I think that, Certainly the traditionalism of baseball yeah. is something we should try to maintain, um, you know, without, you know, without creating a game that nobody can watch limits and, and yeah, yeah, creating a, a boring game. I think like we should be willing to adapt, but also appreciate that baseball is, is popular in part because it's been around so long and because it's of what really it cool. Yeah. It's really cool that a sport is persistent for so long it's funny because as i say that i think my son would say let a computer call the balls and strikes because if he calls something off the plate now i'm out of my head thinking it's gonna he's gonna call it again and now i'm swinging all over the place trying to cover the ump instead of the plate and (laughs) and all right so i see the other side of that too i guess (laughs) i i listen i love here's there's this thing about baseball that i love more than anything it's because it takes up the time it takes that you have to give yourself over to it 
It's like the idea of putting your phone down, right? Like just put your phone down. You go mm. to the game, you sit down. I love that somebody can say to me, even at my own kids game, what inning is it? And I go, I have no idea, <laughs> but I'm having a great time. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like we're here, we're relaxed. It's going well. Are they winning? I don't know. Maybe, you, you know, like it feels like I'm just, there's something about being there. And I guess if you don't appreciate the small thing, I, cause I've said this a million times, if you don't appreciate the unseen things about baseball, even in its classic form, it would be easy not to love baseball. And so I think that if you look at how the world progresses and you look at how my son at 19 years old thinks about baseball, there will be a whole generation of people who are going to come up and talk about that. It's great that Dexter Fowler only missed that ball by a step and, and that he's going to tell his son that and so on and so forth. And, you know, yeah. one day it'll just be this big tapestry of how we got to where we are, I guess. Yeah. You know? No, I, it, and it, you know, I, in a lot of ways, it's like soccer and I happen to be a big soccer fan. I grew up playing and played through high school and obviously like soccer gets knocked all the time um, because it's of its lack of goals for it. Right. And I, my, my counter to that is that it's art. It's art just because one, one ball was put in the back of the net over the course of 90 minutes. Doesn't mean that every minute of those, of that action um, wasn't interesting because it is art form and in the and it but it takes a certain level of knowledge to appreciate that and I think the same goes for baseball like you might have a bunch of swings and misses and a bunch of um, walks and very little action in the field but like maybe you're not picking up on the shortstop like leaning one way because he knew a breaking ball was coming to a left-handed hitter right or maybe you're not appreciating the sequencing that a pitcher made when he went with a fastball at the belt and then followed that up with a, uh, like a 12, six curveball down. Right. Like, so you definitely have to understand, um, sort of ins and outs and the nuances of the game to appreciate say a swing and miss heavy game. But that's, yeah, that's why, like, I think, you know, that's what makes baseball really interesting. I think too, you need to know, you need to have you have need to love the game enough to understand where the line is. Like the other day, and you might remember this. I don't remember. I think it was a college game, but some kids throwing a no hitter, and a guy breaks it up by bunting, which to <laughs> me seems incredibly wrong. And <laughs> and and right, like to me, it feels like look, he's beating you. If you can't stop him from beating you by swinging that bat, then he deserves to beat you, which also doesn't make any real sense. Right? right. <laughs> but you have some interesting lines that you draw. It's like a <laughs> you're hard to predict. I, man. I swear to God, Cole goes, Hey, did you see this no hitter got broke up by a bunt? I was like, What a son of a bitch. I was like, Who would do something like that? Right. <laughs> And, he, and Cole goes, a guy who doesn't want to get no hit. And I was like, hey, you're making a point. So, <laughs> but it just, it struck, that strikes me like that. I think if you bunt with a no, if, if you, if the intent of the bunt is to win the baseball game, then I have no problem with it. Right. If the intent of the bunt is, if it's 11 nothing and all you're trying to do is break up the no hitter, then I think that's, that's where I draw the Yeah. See, it, it is Fine. interesting, right? Yeah. Just with a little more information, it becomes clearer. Yeah. You, know, you can't, I just don't I'm like, you can't do that to the guy. He's out there killing himself for this, you, you know? And, and I have no affinity to pitchers at all. I'm like, my son doesn't pitch, you know, like, you know, there's some people who have like a real, like their heartstrings are tied to it, but I don't know. I'm, I, I recognize that without good pitching, baseball becomes something else. It's not quite baseball anymore. Yeah. What would your, what would your, um, diabetes equivalent of the bunt be? What would my diabetes equivalent <laughs> of the bunt be? All right, so something's going great, and somebody comes in and screws it up. Okay, I got it. All right, so <laughs> I have this happen to me all the time. People listen to the podcast. They get their A1Cs to come down appreciably without, without crazy lows, right? And then they go to the doctor, and the doctor tells them they're wrong and starts admonishing them for it. And so this person's having this giant success that they deserve, and then someone comes in for reasons that don't make any sense to me and ruins it for them. It's not an apples to apples comparison, but you got to admit that in 20 yeah. seconds, it was pretty impressive. And so, <laughs> um, and so that happens a lot, Sam, like people, mm -hmm. I get notes constantly. I went to the doctor. I was super excited. You know, we got my son's A1C down to like 6.8. It was eight. I go in there and immediately the guy assumes I'm doing something wrong and yells, literally yells at me to stop. Like you're killing him. And the, and even when sometimes they hold up their Dexcom charts and go, no, no, look, the doctor is so 
lost in his own ideas of how you get an A1C that low. They can't even believe you've done it even when they're shown it. It's it's mm. pretty sad, actually. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah, it happens a lot. My equivalent would be, and I, I got advantage of at least 60 more seconds to think about it, but <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about, so in, in my camp that I do in Tampa, um, I get to spend a lot of time with parents. We hold part of the camp includes a parents seminar and one of the things that comes up every year as a major source of stress and a major complaint is just coaches who are sort of unfamiliar with t1d and how they're how they treat um the kid and i think so my my equivalent would be a kid who is out there let's say he's playing soccer and he's had a great you know first half playing his butt off um and he's got a minor low at halftime and he's 75 and he quickly corrects juice box whatever it may be and he's ready to go but that coach doesn't let him go out there for the second half because he's scared or whatever it is he doesn't have enough knowledge of the disease to understand and takes the sort of risk averse approach and keeps the kid on the bench um even though he's just played a really really strong first half and, but he's got to go sort of adjust and make, make, a, make a change. Do you see any correlation between... So you played in a few, for a few major league teams, but you also played for Madden, who thinks about the game differently. And, and you... Tell me if I'm wrong, but did you play for Bob Melvin too? Sure. And Bob's daughter has type 1 diabetes. Right. So you play with people who you played for people who don't think that way. They don't think that way about baseball and they don't think that way about diabetes. Do you think there's, do you think that's randomness that that happened? Or do you think that, because you said, I, I saw an old interview with you. Somebody didn't draft you because of your type one, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I and I, yeah, I tell the story a lot because it's like li- probably the only time where I've got something r- tangible that, that was like, we didn't do this because of your T1D. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, yeah, it was some Baltimore Orioles scout who told me in my senior year of college that I wasn't drafted as a junior. They didn't draft me as um, because of concerns of my diabetes. So, yeah. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. I, I would think that, like, playing for Joe, who is a very smart, understanding, um, open-minded individual, and for playing with for, for Bob, whose daughter is type 1, I think that's still coincidence. Like, I don't think there were... I don't think Bob was like, we need to acquire the type one. But no, yeah, no, I, I don't mean that. But do you think they didn't see the type one as an impediment because he had perspective on it? Yes, no doubt about that. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, and ironically, uh, Lou Pinello was my first manager with the Cubs mm-hmm. and Lou was type two diabetic. <laughs> so, so, um, you can argue this all you want, Sam, but the numbers say that you only play for people who understand diabetes <laughs> or, or different ideas about baseball. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Who else did I have? I had Ron Gardenhire. Uh, maybe he might have type 2 diabetes. I don't know. Right. Um, <laughs> well, Ron, if you don't, we're sorry. And, yeah. uh, and, you, and you were in Minnesota for a hot second, right? Right. That's, that's when I had Gardy as my manager. Right. And, there, and that also, it's interesting because after, I think after you, was Ben Rivera there after you? Uh, I think before, before he had just left. Yeah. Okay. So he's, you guys are similar players uh, to some degree, right? And so yeah. there's a type they know worked for them and they were, okay, see, Sam, I, I know you better than you do at this point. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I'm going to ask you a little baseball stuff here. I don't know how much you can say or not say, but here's some stuff I've been noticing. Has Scott Kingry taken a leap? Giant one. He has, right? Giant leap. Yes. And is that just time in the simulator is it just the sentence i i you gotta go you gotta fail you gotta see it so you can do it again so that you know is it just time or um is it I think maturity that, yeah i think there's a lot going on i mean i think you know what we saw from scott last year was we all knew was not the sort of true version of him i think for the first time in his career he was playing with expectations you know he signed that big league deal long-term big league deal before he had ever stepped foot in a major league ballpark. And I think for the first time in his career, he was playing with pressure and a a, a significant amount of it. Right. So he was sort of, he's that undersized kid who's had to sort of overachieve. He wasn't recruited by 
his hometown college of Arizona State, and instead he had to, you know, he was a, like, recruited walk-on at University of Arizona. Right. Um, and has always sort of played with a chip on his shoulder, and I can certainly relate to that. And, and I know what it's like to just, in a lot of ways, it's easy to play as an underdog. And, and all of a sudden, last year, he was not an underdog anymore. And yeah. there were expectations. And so I think it was, in part, just dealing with that on a daily basis. And once he struggled... At the beginning of last year, it was like he was trying to dig out of this hole that he just couldn't get out of. And this year, that seems to have gone away. Um, I think just having the offseason to like refresh and get his mind right really helped. And he's back to being who he is, which is this kind of almost cocky little um, grinder baseball player that we love. Yeah. We absolutely love to death. I, I really enjoy watching him play. Let me ask you a question because you just said a bunch of things that that mean in baseball or in sports terms he was pressing right so yeah. that's a real thing but but it's quantitated it's quantified by all of the, sort of those little other things that you just said like if i said define pressing to you it's not that simple right sure but and there's a, a ton of things thing. that lead to pressing I, but i think in scott's uh, this is just my opinion obviously but in, in scott's situation it's a pretty obvious change in dynamics and change in um environment where you go from a kid who's trying to like climb the ladder in the minor leagues and all of a sudden you've been given this 24 million dollar contract or whatever it may be right. um that's a pretty significant life change and and that that a lot comes with that sure and, and that includes some expectations so what is it how does it manifest itself on the field like you're probably gripping the bat a little bit tighter your muscles are tenser um it's really really subtle but it's enough to just Put yourself in a rut and and not be not be who you are. So and, and you know along the same lines, I do think he made some changes to his swing too. I don't think it was just like a mental thing. I think he made some physical changes as well that have helped him. You know he struggled with uh, velocity last year. He struggled with with fastballs up in the zone, um, and he made some really good adjustments um, with his swing that has allowed him to get on top of the baseball and, and hit velocity. It's so funny because. But, you know, we started at the beginning. I said Cole was slightly behind. At one point, he says to me, what do you see? And I was like, You're, he, time, he finds time with his bat, and he's got a leg lift. Cole sees his swing as something he's working on forever. My son plays baseball because he loves it, but he plays baseball to keep playing baseball. And he doesn't want to just succeed in college with a collegiate swing. He wants to, if he can't succeed with a swing that someone could look at one day and go, hey, that swing still works, then to him... And the type A part of his brain, none of it matters. And mm. so, like, so he's got his leg lift. So he starts talking about, should I bring my knees together instead of my knee up? And I was like, man, I just think your bat's just, I think you got one too many in there. And he completely disagrees with me and, <laughs> and just admonishes me at the, at the fence. Like, it, it, and baseball has changed. Like, I am now a guy who holds up an iPhone in front of a fence so he can scrub through a swing real quick, which helps him immensely. I know that people a couple of years ago used to think it was, I don't know what they thought, but they didn't like it. But I'll tell you, that, that kid wants to see himself hit, and then he deletes it. But he needs to see it for a second. Yeah. So I noticed that he took like one bounce out from his bat off his shoulder, and he, but he doesn't notice he did it. <laughs> so I just wow. I don't say anything about it. Like, like it just like he just you know we talked about it, and then he told me I you know I don't know what I'm talking about, and then at <laughs> some point he he did it. Yeah. Um, it's That's just, called a father-son relationship. <laughs> Him not letting you know that he agrees with you. I, believe me, we we get that with players too. Yeah. It's, you know, like we get pushback from players. Um, maybe it's because of their surroundings. They don't want anyone else to know that they're actually listening to us. But but sometimes I think they are, and they're just not, you know, acknowledging it. It's so funny. A couple weeks ago, he had a double header, and he's like, "Oh my god, it's so hot out." Which I don't know where we live anymore, but it gets incredibly hot and then cold, and then it rains for six days. But but it's incredibly hot out, and he joked, man, it's so hot today. I said, go into the dugout and say, guys, listen, instead of two sevens, why don't we just play a nine and somebody can take two wins? You, you know, we'll get out of here. And he, he literally looked at me like I was an idiot. <laughs> and then two weeks later, I overheard him tell my wife that he said that to somebody. I was like, <laughs> oh, you, like, creep. Like, like, he would just, and to your point, he would just never tell me that he thought it was amusing. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, Sam, we're getting up on an hour. Um I really can't help thank you enough for doing this. You're literally talking to me as the Phillies are about to take the field in about a half an hour. Um, I am going to put this out right at the All-Star break. 
um, because I just that's my favorite time of the season. Like I, I love the break. I don't know why, um, but I think it's a great time. Me too. Believe me, <laughs> that three or four day stretch feels like three or four weeks, and it's uh, something we all look forward to in this industry. I, I can't get enough All Star breaks. Yeah, I just love the idea that it feels like it's a reset, and you get to see who comes out like really sprinting for the end. Like that that about watching baseball, I really enjoy. Huge thanks to Sam Fold for coming back on the show and to Omnipod, Dexcom, and Dancing for Diabetes for continuing to be such great sponsors. If you want to check out Sam's baseball camps, you're looking for samfoldt1dsportscamp.org. The next camp is February 8th and 9th in Tampa at the USF campus. Age ranges for the camp, 8 years old to 17 years old. Sam will be there at the baseball sessions, hanging out and running the camps. He's a great guy. He's been living with type 1 diabetes for, my God, since he was 10 years old. He understands. I hear from a lot of parents who are looking for professional athletes to show to their children. You know, they can say, look, anything is possible. Look at this guy. He's a blah, blah, blah in Major League Baseball. He's This guy does this in football. Sam's, uh, he, Sam's the right guy. He's smart. He's well-educated understands his type one. He's been living with it for a very long time. He's a great attitude about it. No better person to start with than Sam Fold if you're looking for someone to show your kids as an example. And if you want to check out Omnipod, Dexcom, Dancing for Diabetes, or Sam's Camp, and you forgot all the links I told you over and over again, they're right there in your podcast player in the show notes or at juiceboxpodcast.com. Don't forget this Friday and every Friday, Defining Diabetes. Jenny Smith and I give you a couple of quick moments where we define a phrase or word that impacts your life with type 1. Sometimes you think you know what a word means, but until you hear Jenny explain it to you, you don't really understand. Defining Diabetes is every Friday on the Juicebox Podcast. Speaking of Jenny, she'll be back very soon with another episode of Diabetes Pro Tip. Huh? You guys love the Diabetes Pro Tips. I know you do. If you haven't found them yet... They begin at episode 210 of the podcast with an episode called Diabetes Pro Tip, Newly Diagnosed or Starting Over. The feedback I get from you guys is astounding. They've been out long enough now that I'm hearing back from people whose A1Cs are falling because of the Pro Tip episodes. So if you want to say A1C you later, check out the Diabetes Pro Tip series beginning at episode 